I sincerely want to thank all of you that are here and watching online for sharing part of your Easter weekend with us here at the Hills. And I want you to know, it doesn't matter whether your skin is dark or light, whether your politics are left or right. It doesn't matter whether you're old or young, male or female, whether or not uh, you've been to college or didn't finish high school. It doesn't matter whether you're a Yankees fan or a Christian. It doesn't matter. You are welcome in this place. And I'm especially glad you're here because I'm launching a new series today called The Point of Impact. And here's the idea behind it. That in the Gospels, we have these stories where a person's life intersected Christ. Often they didn't even know it was going to happen. But there was an impact. There was a collision. And everything after was different. I want you to join us these next six weeks. In fact, if you'll go to our website, we're going to have daily devotionals. We're going to have discussion questions for small groups and for your family as we just consider what happens when life collides with Jesus. Because an impact is inevitable, and the result is often something you didn't think possible. And that reminds me of a story of a guy that went to a big city, and he got into the back of a cab and was hungry and thought, I wonder if there's a good place around here to eat. So we tapped the cab driver on the shoulder. Hey, buddy, well, the guy just let out a blood-curdling scream. Lost control of the cab, almost sideswiped a bus, jumped the curb, stopped just a few inches in front of a plate glass window of a crowded restaurant. And for a few moments, the only sound in that cab were two hearts beating like bass drums. Finally, the driver turned around and said to the guy in the back seat, man, you scared the living daylights out of me. And the guy back there said, I'm sorry, I had no idea touching your shoulder would frighten you like that. And, and the cab driver said, it's not really your fault. This is my first day to drive a cab. For the last 25 years, I drove a hearse. You see, <laughs> we know that when something seems dead, it's time to give up hope. But that is exactly the point that Jesus challenged the Father to rethink. So my message today comes from Mark chapter 5, and I invite you to join me starting Verse 21, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now right off the bat, something about that story is unique. Because in that day, religious leaders didn't fall at the feet of Jesus. He was not popular with their crowd because he was a threat to their system. This was something people didn't usually see. So what would cause a religious leader to just uh, humiliate himself in public and just collapse at the feet of Jesus? Well, being a father trumps being a leader. Guys, put yourself in this place. How would you feel if your little girl was dying? I have one daughter. If she was dying, there's no price I wouldn't pay. There's no length I wouldn't go. There's no cost I wouldn't give, including my own life. If I thought it could save hers. 
And so you can sense his desperation. And later you could probably sense his exasperation because they're going back to the house. This is urgent. There's not much time. And suddenly Jesus just stops. He says, who touched me? Like, who touched you? Everyone's bumping into you. What are you talking about? Well, here's the backstory. There was this lady, and she had this bleeding issue. She'd had it for 12 years. Mark says she had spent all her money on doctors, and they couldn't help her. Now, Luke doesn't mention that last part because Luke was a doctor. But Mark says doctors just took her money and didn't help. And she's desperate, too. And she sneaks into that crowd where she doesn't belong. And it says that she just touches the hem of his garment and power came out. And Jesus just stopped and has a Bible study with this lady, which I get. And I know that felt good if you're her. But if I'm Jairus, I'm thinking, why are we doing this? Okay, she's been sick 12 years. Okay, she can be sick 12 years in one day. We can come back tomorrow and deal with her. We've got to hurry. This is urgent. We don't have time for this. Come on. He's afraid it's going to be too late for Jesus. And his concern soon became his test. Because the whole story hinges on these next two verses. It says that while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher?" anymore. So not only did he not save his daughter, he wasn't even there when she died. Not only did he not rescue her, he wasn't even there to at least hold her when she passed away. Could any dad feel more hopeless? But then the next verse, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Well, how could he not be afraid? His daughter died. But on the other hand, he's just witnessed Jesus speak into a situation that everybody called hopeless, and a woman gets healed. So now Jairus has got to make a decision. Do I just give up and say it's too late? Or do I keep going back to my house with this guy? And you know what? It's the same choice you have to make. Because there are two voices and we hear them every day. And one voice says, why bother? It's that part of your life where you're tempted to give up hope. To quit trying. To just accept the status quo. And decide it's too late. That's what some of you have done with your marriage. It's been stagnant for so long, you've just decided status quo is all it'll ever be. What point would counseling do? Why bother? Some of you, your finances are in a hole, and it's deep, and you don't think you can get out. Really, budget counseling? It's too late for that. Why bother? Some of you are doing this with your fitness. You need to lose some weight. You need to start working out. You need to change your diet. But really, are you going to stick with it? Why bother? And some of you struggle with a secret sin. 
And you have told God a hundred times, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that anymore. But you did. And you don't even feel like talking to God about it anymore. Why bother? And for some of you, it's an addiction. And you need some help. But deep in your heart is the fear. You just quit. You just fail. And you've had enough failure. Why bother? And for some, it's a relational breach. You haven't talked to your parents in a long time. You've got a friend or a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister, and there's no communication. And somebody needs to extend somebody some forgiveness. But really, you think it would make a difference? Why bother? I struggle with why bother. Many times in my ministry, I've been discouraged to the point of thinking about changing careers. You spend your life and you're trying to serve the Lord. You believe in preaching. And then you see people that sit under your feet week after week make the worst choices. You see kids that grow up under your feet and they go off to college and they do things that just make you think they weren't even listening. You see people that just come to church to get their card punched. And before they get to the car, they've forgotten everything you spent all week getting ready to say. And you just think, why bother? Sometimes the voice is in the crowd. Sometimes it's in your own house. Most of the time it's just in your head. Because we've all done our share of burying God. Of deciding it's just too late. Remember the ladies that went to the tomb that first Easter. They weren't looking for a resurrection. It was over. What's the point? We act as if Jesus, in some parts of our lives, can't have an impact. Unless we listen to another voice. A voice that says, don't. Be afraid. Just believe. You see, unbelief puts my circumstances between me and Jesus, and faith puts Jesus between me and my circumstances. And so Jesus is saying to this dad, don't listen to them. Listen to me. Let's go home. Because it's not like he didn't know the word they got was true, but he knew it wasn't the final word. What we call irreversible, Jesus calls redeemable. What we say is a finality, Jesus says it's just a technicality. Jesus says, I'm stronger than disease. I cast out demons. I'm larger than despair and disappointment. I defeat death. Because, you see, Jesus could conquer the problem behind all the problems. It's called sin. See, here's the deal. This world is hopeless. It's despairing. It hurts. And God didn't make it that way. We did. And God would be fair and just if he just wiped us all away. But not once did he say, why bother? He just keeps coming after us. He sent his son, and that son took all our screw-ups and all our mess-ups and all our, 
I'll never do it again, but we did on himself and died for it so that all of his goodness and purity could be put on us. You say, that sounds too good to be true. Yeah, except for this thing. They put him in this grave, and God says, okay, count to three. And he came out. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, he was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised up to life to make us right with God. And the scoreboard says death doesn't have a perfect record anymore. And if you can see that, it changes the way you see everything else. John Lennox, he's an author, a mathematician at Oxford University, and he's a Christian. And he was visiting the horrible death camp known as Auschwitz with a Jewish lady whose parents died there in the Holocaust. And they went past a display of pictures of the horrible experiments done to children there. And this Jewish woman says to him, what does your religion make of this? And it's no time for easy answers and pithy little Bumper stickers. He says, I have no easy answer. But I have the beginning of an answer. He says, you know I'm a Christian. Did I believe Jesus, Yeshua, was the Messiah. God in the flesh. I know that's hard for you to accept. But if he was, what was he doing on a cross? Could it be that God didn't distance from our pain and our hurt, but he entered into it. He got into our suffering with us. He bore it for us. That's the beginning of hope, but it doesn't stop there because they put him in a grave and he didn't stay. Jesus is alive. He's come back from the dead. He now reigns over everything and he's going to return to this earth as judge and he is going to judge with equity and justice. He's going to make everything right again. And he said, she began to weep and she said softly but audibly, Why has no one ever told me about my Messiah before? You see, the impact of a collision with Jesus should lead to an infusion of hope. Easter isn't a day. Easter is the way Jesus' people see every day. It's not about chocolate bunnies and getting the family together for a picture. It is about a way that we're going to interpret life because we have heard the voice of the one who came out of the tomb and said, believe. It turns why bother into why settle for things the way they are. And you've got to decide which voice is going to have the biggest impact in your life. And if you're going to listen to Jesus, you've got to do two things. First, you've got to tune out the doubters. If you're going to be full of hope sometimes, you've got to empty the room. So I love what happens when they got back to the house. It says in verse 38 that when they got to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. By the way, that's a bad idea. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. I love that. The first thing Jesus did 
was send out the voice of doubt. It says he made them all leave. Another version says he threw them out of the house. Matthew says he told them, get out. It's the same word, by the way, that was used when Jesus would cast out a demon. By the way, this is my new life verse for some emails I get. I'm telling you right now, if you're going to send me some old ugly, criticizing, despairing email, I got this awesome key on my computer called delete, and I say, in the name of Jesus, get out. Because it is not productive to repeat words of doubt and fear. You can't silence all the negativity because we live in a world that still laughs at Jesus. If you live by the values of Jesus, if you live by the morals of Jesus, you will get scorn and laughter from this world. So you can't silence all the negativity, but you don't have to give it a place in your head to stay. You need to stop and consider Jesus' track record. Maybe that's why that story of the woman with the blood issue was important. Maybe Jairus needed to see somebody else's miracle to believe for his own. Right now in this room, there are people whose marriages did get healed, who did get off drugs, who did get reunited with a rebellious child, who have broken the bondage of the sin they were enslaved to for years. And you need to look at Jesus' track record, and you need to tune in and listen to what he's saying, give him full attention, and you need to make the decision, I am going to enter that room that everybody says is hopeless. And so you turn in the hope direction. Because the real problem is not the presence of trials. We all have trials. The real problem is the absence of hope. And maybe that's why the very first thing Jesus said when he was raised from the dead is don't be afraid. Because hope changes everything. I love the story of the four widows there at a nursing home playing cards in the foyer. And this old distinguished looking man walks in and stands at the counter at the front desk. And the first widow says, what are you doing here? He says, well, I'm going to move in and start living here. And the second widow says, where are you from? He said, well, the last 25 years I've lived in prison. And the third widow says, why? He said, well, to be honest, because I murdered my wife. And the fourth widow says, so you're saying you're single. Because you see, (laughs) hope reinterprets everything. I'm not saying evil doesn't have its moments. I'm saying evil doesn't have the last word. The God that we worship raises the dead. And that gives us leverage over everything we're going through. It means that we believe in deliverance. It means we believe in renewed strength to continue the battle. It means we believe we can receive the courage to endure without becoming Bitter, And most of all, it believes that we never accept that status quo gets the final word. In his book, Good to Great, Jim Collins interviews Admiral James Stockdale, who spent eight years as a prisoner of war in Vietnam. And he asked the obvious question, how did you make it? How did you hang on? And his answer was brilliant. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. Easter people don't laugh at Jesus. We laugh with Jesus because we know he can raise the dead as easy as a daddy can wake up his little girl from a nap.
And so it says, he took her by the hand. And he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this they were completely astonished. And you know what? Her story is your story. Easter people, get up. Their relationship has not been easy lately, but get up. I made a mistake again, but I'm not quitting. Get up. I'm tired. I'm weary. It's hard. Get up. In fact, I would say you better get used to getting up because this is our story. Our hope is real. And one day it's going to be fully realized. Think about this. He could have healed her from a mile away. But he went to her house. He walked into that bedroom. He sat on that bed. He grabbed her hand. And the first touch she felt. And the first face she saw. And the first time she heard her name. It was Jesus. Oh yeah, the family and the friends were there. A reunion was coming. But not first. And someday. You're going to hear your name. You're going to feel an arm around you. You're going to see a smiling face. And it's going to be Jesus. Because it's time to get up. And the hope of that day should impact every single day. Would you stand? If you're on our response team, would you take our place? We're going to sing a worship song after I pray. Because you need to make a move today. You need to make a choice. You need to listen to the voice of Jesus. You need to come and say, I'm tired of being stuck. I'm tired of staying where I am. That might mean repenting. That might mean getting counseling. That might mean just admitting that you want to make a move. It will mean for some of you the confession of Jesus and getting baptized just like Kay. This is her first Easter in 40 years to be in a church. It won't be her last. Make a move. So, Father, I'm asking now in Jesus' name that you will move in the hearts of people in a powerful way, that Easter truth, that Easter reality will invade us right now, and that we will step in the direction of hope, whatever that means. We won't be afraid because we are ready for a new day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Death has surrendered to Jesus. You should too. Please come.